If you've got a problem with fonts at its heart, there's really only one person you need to call. Thomas Finney, a typographer, type designer, and teacher, regularly acts as an expert witness, whether officially in court cases or in unofficial battles, like the one about documents relating to George Bush Jr.'s army years, on which an American presidential election may have depended. Finney is coming to Ireland this week to talk about his work as a font detective and to give one of his typecrafting workshops in which he teaches anyone who's interested what creating a typeface really involves. Ahead of that, he spoke to me from his home in Portland, Oregon, and I asked him about the many fine distinctions his work involves, starting with the question of whether he's a type nerd or a type geek. I will admit that I do not recall offhand the nerd versus geek distinction, but I recall that I've looked it up before and I thought either label was perfectly appropriate. Being me, if if you've ever seen the Terminator movie, you might remember how the Terminator's vision, how all the interesting and important objects in his vision are annotated. That is essentially how I perceive the text in my environment. So when I'm looking around my room right now, you know, I see a book with a title on it in Minion. And so to me, that book title is almost like annotated with a little flyout that says typeface Minion designed by Robert Slimbach, 1989 for Adobe. And everything is like that. That particular typeface is kind of classic, subtle, but not completely vanishing into obscurity the way, you know, Times does, for instance. And uh, a little bit of warmth, but without being obtrusive. And, uh, And of course, it has some personal Newman for me as well. I learned a lot of what I know about type design from Robert Slimbach when I was at Adobe for 11 and a half years. So it also makes me think of him type is just pervasive. I mean, just look around your room right now, wherever you are, and think about what would happen if all pre-printed written material, I'm not, not including handwriting, but everything else pre-printed within your range of eyesight just disappeared. What would that do to your environment? Oops, no text, no text on your computer, no printed books, uh, no signage on the road. All that stuff just goes away. So type is just ubiquitous. So Getting a better understanding of it and understanding the fact that, yes, real people actually design this stuff, to me, it just seems interesting because it's such a basic part of our environment. I first got into the whole thing of forensic typography in, I think it was about 1998. I was working at Adobe. I hadn't been there that long. There were, oh, I don't know, about 15 of us in the type group at Adobe. And one day we had a um, an inquiry. Someone had a will and they were looking for someone to look at it for them and help them figure out if there was any evidence that they might have from the choice of typeface as to whether it had been forged. And the funny thing was, okay, the funny thing to me was nobody else was jumping on this. I, I thought it was like the coolest thing since sliced bread. Uh, in my head... Everybody wants to play Sherlock Holmes or, or you know, reasonable facsimile. So it was a shock to me that none of my colleagues jumped at this opportunity. Um, so I took it 
I thought the the George Bush National Guard memos case was really pretty dead and settled, and that only the smallest number of crazed partisans had any doubt on this. And let me first say, I am not actually the biggest fan of the former president, George W. Bush, the younger Bush. Um, Sadly, however, my lack of appreciation for him as a president could not change the fact that these memos that came up, that if they had been believed, they would have certainly cast quite a black eye over his National Guard service during the Vietnam War. And of course, they came up two months before his the re-election. Um, had they been believed, you know, they could have easily swung the, the election against him. But the sad fact is, they were kind of blatant forgeries. I have to admit, the thought briefly occurred to me that I could just not say anything or have an incorrect opinion. But truth is more important to me, I guess, is what it really comes down to. It was pretty easy to tell they seemed fake and that there was stuff that made it seem pretty obviously improbable that they were authentic. The memos were printed in a proportionally spaced font that looked an awful lot like Times because, well, it was Times. Proportional spacing, that is having letters of varying spacing, was not commonplace on typewriters at the time in the 1972-73 round then. Frankly, if they had just done the memos in Courier or something, they would have they would have been off the hook on that score. And I, I for one, would probably have never been involved in, in looking at them. I enjoy carving letters in stone, which is rather a bit slower than uh, uh, typing on your keyboard. For me, stone lettering is about one letter per hour instead of... Uh, about one word per second. Interesting to me is that there's actually a growth in some of this antique stuff. So for instance, letterpress. Printing with metal type, movable metal type that's been handset. Interest in letterpress and use of letterpress has grown over the last 10-15 years. Calligraphy is still a popular little niche. I'm not saying that any of these are going to be mainstream for mass production again. We're not going to see a sudden surge of handwritten books as a main way of making books. But these things are are still around and still with us, and people are fascinated by them, I think precisely because they are so far from the digital realm. But I think you could say that there's a bit of a slow typography movement. Not that it's going to take over or anything, but as an art form and as a way of understanding letter forms and typography and typesetting at a much more physical level.